Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's happening. It is. It's going to happen. What is that? Yep. I mean, they announced the PGA announced they're going to resume golf tournaments in June yeah. so we can stop watching reruns of Big Break from 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. Yeah, I know. And and uh, maybe NASCAR is going to have something in, in May as well. I mean, it's, it there is. You go. I was there listening to a sportscaster this morning and he was talking about July the 4th and we have all of these sporting events started back up and America is celebrating, you know, the freedom. Right. There you go. I think I it's going to be an image. awesome 4th of July celebration when we yeah. got all the sports back on. Here's the thing, though. No fans. Yeah, well, I know that. but Well, I know. I'm fine with it. Don't get me wrong. How many sporting events do you go to anyway? <laughs> I'm, fine. I'm fine with that. But, you know, if you thought golf was boring with 40,000 politely cheering fans, <laughs> you know, you probably want to just stick to watching reruns of TV, you know, Andy Griffith on TV it, Land or something. Because it, it, it's going to seem really boring to you. But not for me, though. I, yeah. I love I personally will be tuning in. Yeah, me too. And it beats the heck out of uh, yard work and cleaning out the attic. I'm yes, just saying. It does. I think. Everybody's yes, will be done with that by that time. So, so I am so excited. Positive. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, and speaking of exciting, hey, we do have some interesting stuff to talk about. It's a, hey, we're going to talk about the crazy COVID economy because there is a lot of crazy stuff going on here. And uh, but you know, it's not all bad. It's just it's just strange. It is and crazy. so yep. we're going to talk about some of that stuff, and then we're going to follow it up with uh, a checklist. Yeah, right? retirement <clears throat> checklist comes from uh, Morningstar. Really good. Just kind of um, well, we've talked about some of these things before, but some other some other areas that uh, we've talked about emergency funds. But there's a next level that you want to think about in your own situation. And um, if you haven't heard some of these checklists that we've done before, you need to listen. They're, they're really good. Make sure that you're on track for uh, getting through this. Uh, this COVID-19, as we're calling it now. Exactly. Yeah, that will be good. So, uh, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey um, certified counselor and uh, also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast on there. And gosh, we have hundreds uh, now that go back many, many years. And if you go back and listen to the 2015 ones and 2018 ones, you know, you'll hear a common theme. You know, you stay invested, have a plan, you know, tune some of this noise out. And it's difficult to tune the negative noise out because it's everywhere, you know. It really is. That's exactly right. But we're glad to have you listen to us. Check us out on our uh uh, website, uh, moneymd.net. You can link to us there. You can email us your questions um, straight off the website. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is kind of kind of fun to, to, to think about. In the last 20 years, there has been 90 million landlines that have been eliminated. Wow, <laughs> so, that's a lot. Yeah, How many the, households are there? Yeah, 124 million households in the United States. So most people don't have landlines. We finally did ours probably two two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, it we did too. Hasn't did changed too. anything. I mean, nothing. Well, um, we actually still have our landline number. We just have it on a cell phone yeah. type gadget for the home. Okay, you know, and that way we can still get messages, but. 
we don't have to listen to them, and it's like $10 a month to have a yeah. throwaway phone added to it. Yeah, and I mean, 20 years ago, would people have predicted this? No. That's right? true. So That's where, true. what's the next 20 years going to hold? We don't know. And so technology is changing so rapidly right now that, um, you know, the next 5 to 10 to 20 years, technology changes products and industries and how things are delivered and so forth, which kind of goes to the fact of, hey, be careful about investing in individual stocks because it can change you know, on the on the on a dime. It I mean, is very unpredictable. I mean, look what look at what's happened during this coronavirus. And that's the thing. You know, that leads us right into our first topic here and the how unpredictable things are. And that's this crazy COVID economy, John. I mean, we've seen some very unusual things that we have to talk about this week in the past week or two, um, in this economy and the market. Um you know, and it's not to predict that we're at the absolute bottom of the crisis here, but to me, this seems to fit some of the craziness that you do see sometimes when markets and the economy kind of have that inflection point, you know, near the bottom. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the good news is that the COVID-19 new infections have dropped significantly here in the U.S. and worldwide. Um, obviously, you know, no one knows how this is all going to play out for the economy, but, you know, we're, we're certainly... Uh, you know, this certainly will end at some point, and we're going to resume a path to new growth. And you know, I, I personally feel like we're 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 closer to the way up than um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> than we are on the way down for sure. And meanwhile, though, we have to we have run into some quite unusual events due to all this turmoil. Of course, we've all seen pictures of you know Times Square with maybe three people in the area, or you know Champs Elysees in uh, Paris, you know, with no cars on a ten lane road. <laughs> Um, you know, so, I mean, you know, but so let's review a few of the crazy events and developments we've seen in the past week. First, we have oil that was trading at negative $37 a barrel on Monday. Mm, you get paid. <laughs> so traders would pay you $37 a barrel to take over their oil contract on money Monday. Um, I mean, wow, you could have made some serious money if you'd have owned an empty super tanker on Monday. <laughs> but, you know, I guess there weren't any, and that was kind of the point. I mean, you know, by the way, fun fact, leases on oil super tankers were running at $29,000 a day a year ago. Hmm. Now they're running at $100,000 a day. Wow. Supply demand. There you go. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and traders who speculated on these oil prices, what they basically did is they bought futures contracts, and they were expiring on Monday. Um, so unless they really had a place to store maybe 100,000 barrels of oil that they were trading you know, the contracts for, they had to close out the positions, which means they actually had to take possession of that oil. So, um, you know, everything's full out there, right? Yeah, there were I no mean, buyers for those contracts yeah, on Monday, so were there? What a crazy, unusual situation. But if you you know, if you held these futures when they did expire, you had to, to purchase an underlying commodity like oil and uh, take physical delivery and that's kinda like a, a hot potato. I mean you don't know what they're not exactly. doing that to hold the oil and, and we'll no. probably never see that again in our lifetime. Very, very unusual. I know I was watching C N B C and the trading on there and it was like, man, that thing went negative. It's like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It just was, crazy. It opened on Tuesday at a penny a barrel. <laughs> a penny a barrel. I was like, man, that is unusual. You don't see that very often, but I, you know, there's some real things going on here. There's no place to put it, and these these people got got stuck with these contracts mm-hmm. that they don't want. You know, so uh, that was very interesting. Um, you know, I also ran across some very interesting information about how the economy is operating during this shutdown um, through a company called Wamplay. 
um, which processes the majority, I believe, of credit card transactions for businesses. Um, so they obviously have a tremendous amount of data mm-hmm. on, you know, what economic activity is going on out there. So here are some of the interesting facts about the crisis. Um, many of the categories of businesses have seen their revenue from credit card transactions actually increase. In fact, out of 21 categories, nine of those categories are actually seeing increases in transactions. Things like public service, food and beverage shops, um, health care, pet services, they're up 20 to 80 percent over the same week a year ago. Of course, on the other hand, there are, you know, another I guess that leaves 12 different categories that are down. Um, Transportation is down 89%. Lodging's down 68%. Restaurants are down 47%. Of course, I would have thought restaurants would actually have been down more. Yeah, you I know? would too. I mean, that's less than half. They're down. So they're, they're still, you know, turning out some business somewhere. Um, interestingly enough, though, I mean, South Carolina is one of the hardest hit states. When you look at the states they show for different, uh, how much their different categories are down, South Carolina is next to the last, I think, or the worst for tourism and restaurants since a large portion of the revenue at the coast, you know, for tour is, is tourism. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much non-existent. I mean, New York and Maine have only lost 26 percent and 8 percent, respectively, of their restaurant revenue, mm-hmm. according to the credit card transaction. Yeah, I actually played. I don't do this very often, but I played golf last week. Right. Really? So this is very unusual. This times. is an unusual time. And it is amazing how busy the golf courses are. Yes, and I asked packed. the guy up front, I'm like, how are y'all's revenues doing? He's like, well, the, the volume is up but because Masters didn't happen. The revenue is going to be significantly down. Right. right. They're charging more. But yeah, he said that they are just they're tired at the golf courses. So many people are out there. I bet they are. And it varies by course, too, because at the course I've been playing at, you know, they they're allowing carts out and everybody has to have their own cart. Mm-hmm. So so they're getting cart revenue and there's people playing all day. It's booked all day long, just about. Um, but then I I talked to other people playing other courses where they're not allowing carts out. I'm mm. like, ooh, I bet that kills their yeah, revenue, yeah, no, no cart revenue, because yeah. you know only members and you know anyway. So it's interesting how that's gone. You're right. In other developments though, this week, um, the administration issued their three phase restart plan for the economy last week, um, where they gave the green light to some states to begin reopening businesses and and shopping while you know keeping the social distancing. The plan calls for states with declines in reported infections for 14 days and ample hospital supplies to consider reopening in, in phases. Um, and so it's it's only a guide, but it leaves the final decision up to each individual governor. However, it sets these 14-day windows between each phase while you know seeing continued declines in infection rates. And the final phase allows vulnerable individuals to resume going out in public while practicing social distancing. Um, But meanwhile, we've seen protests break out in some states over the shutdown rules, um, putting even more pressure on governors to relax those rules and kind of get back into the opening game. Yeah, so Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, they took a cue from the administration and they joined Texas and Vermont um, to begin, you know, limited reopening um, this week for retail, um, you know, shops and beaches as well. And uh, obviously a lot of criticism from uh, the media and in the political circles as well. And, you know, there, there are a few more states, um, you know, doing that uh, today. And then a slew of states are going to be opening retail and other stores um, next week as well. So the first week of May, we're going to see a tremendous amount of pressure on most states uh, to get the game, get in the game of reopening retail stores 
if there's not a significant relapse of cases. And, and shortly after that, they project some states will uh, start allowing sit-down restaurants to open with uh, social distancing in place. I think that's happening in Georgia. Yeah, you're um, right. You're well. right. That's so, actually already happening. You're right. In Georgia and South Carolina, they're not. Yeah, but, it's going to uh, be interesting to see how that how that turns out. It will. They've taken a lot of criticism over that, but uh, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You're right. See how many people actually come back, you mm-hmm. know, and are ready to get back down to it. You know, I, for one, would probably, yeah, I'll probably take my chances and yeah. <laughs> go Go have a meal, you know, if you can do it, you know. Safely. Uh, safely, right. So, but here we sit, you know, I mean, with over 26 million people unemployed now and around 15% unemployment rate, um, wondering if, you know, we've seen the worst of it and how long it's going to be before things recover. I mean, earnings are down like 14.5% so far for the first quarter, the reported earnings. Um, that's the worst since 2009. Um, surprisingly, though, I mean, revenues actually showing a slight gain in the first quarter mm-hmm. so far with reports that have come in at 0.6 percent gain, um, you know, after falling off the covid cliff in March. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of goes to show how strong the economy was before the crisis. I mean, they had a that couple amazing. had a couple really good months <laughs> before March really fell off a cliff. Um, so but analysts are predicting, you know, continued earnings plunge. This second quarter of 26% drop in earnings, followed by diminishing drops for the remainder of the quarters in 2020 at like minus 13%, minus 5% to finish out the year. Um, You know, and so that's the level of earnings drops, which are kind of already baked into the current stock market prices, because that's what analysts are predicting. Yep. So you kind of get a sense that if we recover faster than that and get back to normal before the end of the year with some growth... Um, the stock market would probably respond in kind with a recovery, you know, once it looks like that's going to be in the cards. Yeah, even if the recovery is on par with the uh, consensus estimate, it appears the market, I mean, it could be up by the end of the year. Obviously, no one knows what that looks like. But, um, you know, the estimates are that it starts to, to recover. And while that doesn't sound like an amazing feat, um, you know, the S&P 500 as of today would have to, to gain about 20 percent plus in order to get back to um, the February highs. And that's in eight months. So that's a pretty good gain in eight months. That's pretty good. And and the Russell 2000 and small stocks, they've really taken a beating. They would have to gain over 40 percent to get back um, to the February 20th high. And so who knows you know, exactly how long that's going to take. Um, but we're talking about a really, you know, a tremendous gain from here if it gets back to, to highs, whether it's this year or next year. And that's without even speculating on a single stock or trying to time the market. Right. Exactly. I mean, those are some pretty remarkable gains if you look at it from that perspective. So, I mean, now you have to think, you know, I mean, those gains, that gains already cemented into the recovery for the 2000 smallest stocks representing the Russell 2000 index when it gets back to that February level. And that's why, you know, that's part of our portfolio. We're weighted towards small stocks. And, you know, we bought more last month when we did some rebalancing in portfolios. Um, So no one knows when, but, you know, we do know that it will happen eventually. And the analysts apparently think this is going to happen by the end of the year based on earnings forecasts. Um, You know, so, I mean, what a great opportunity for someone that has money sitting on the sidelines I mean, it's almost as good as owning an oil super tanker would have been on Monday of this week. And you don't even have to worry about the environment. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there are some good gains that are going to be out there when this when this recovers. Um, that's for sure. Meanwhile, though, I mean, there has been such a fever pitch about testing and reopening the economy. 
Um, you know, I'm actually encouraged by the anecdotal evidence, though, that, that the testing really has improved. Um, unlike a few weeks ago when it took 10 days for one of our employees to get their son tested with negative results, I might add. Um, you know, I read just yesterday about someone who got results here in Augusta in one day, yeah. you know, so I mean, apparently that's, that's a big deal. Certainly that has really improved. You know, I mean, we also see now that, that we've tested over 4 million people here in the U S so that's more than 1% of the population. Um, so it seems like that's only going to get even faster and more available. So I'm feeling pretty good about the testing issue, quite frankly. Yeah. I just saw, a, um, an online FDA approval of a at-home kit, um, that you can take to, to do some testing. So it'll be interesting, interesting. to see in a couple of weeks that should be rolled out to consumers. So I think you're right. I think that's going to expand pretty quick. And it's also interesting seeing some of the studies that are coming now out. Um, this one's from California. And it's from uh, it's about antib- antibody uh, testing that where they found between two and a half and four percent of the county's residents had already had the virus, and if that was accurate, it would put the death rate at only point one to point two percent, and that's not a lot of difference from from the flu, right? Right. We heard right. that initially, and and of course these are very small tests, and uh, we'll know about more about this as the tests continue and so forth. And in fact, Germany says they're going to test the entire country and. Of course, there are a lot of clinical trials for uh, various antiviral drugs that are ongoing with the development of vaccines, which should be ready in the fall at some point on a limited basis. And with all these developments, you know, we're, we're optimistic that the virus uh, will not be an issue long term. But meanwhile, we're obviously going to have to take some some measures to be safe short term, social distancing and uh you know, making sure you're following the rules and so forth uh, while we try to get back to some semblance of normal life. So I think we're a little ways away from normal life. I think sure. the, the sporting events kind of speak to that. Um, you know, not having people at golf events and yeah, so no, forth is, no is not normal, right? But it's it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, it beats watching reruns. So <laughs> I'm, I'm right. looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, despite all the good news with the infection rates and restarting some businesses, you know, there's obviously going to be some more bad news along the way. I mean, I think it's safe to say, you know, we will see a lot of small businesses fail, even with the relief loans. You know, there's also going to be some large businesses that go through some type of reorganization and rock the stock market. So, you know, this won't be an immediate turnaround for the economy. I mean, always takes more time to come back than it did to go down. That's just the way, mm-hmm. you know, down markets work. Um, however, I think we are seeing some glimmers of hope and, you know, kind of a calming of the storm. So, you know, I mean, one of the great things about the stock market is that it looks past the current situation and typically responds to where investors believe we're going to be in three to six months down the road. So as such, I mean, I don't think we're too far from seeing markets settle down and and start a more deliberate road to recovery once the timeline to open up the economy and businesses is more determined. So, you know, I'll just finish on that positive note. But I mean, in general, um, we've seen some very unusual stuff in the past week, John, and... um, you know, we'll probably see some more, but but I, th- I think we're on the downhill side of it. You're just happy golf starting back. I am very happy. <laughs> you can't wipe that smile off my face. That's right. I think baseball is going to do the same thing. I think they'll be yep. coming alive in, in June again with without fans. So that's that's kind of a bummer because I, I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching both of them, but um, you know. Okay, that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this question is: Should I continue to invest during the down market? We've had that question a lot, and. Specifically, people are asking, should we invest in individual stocks? You know, I got two two questions in within like three hours this last week of buying oil stocks. And, 
you know, I mean, so the first question is, should you invest? I think you, if it's per your plan, you should continue doing that. You know, the monthly type uh, contributions, if you have extra cash on the side, um, that would be fine to put it in as well. Um, but never put in emergency fund money, right? You always no, want to protect that. No. And it's very, un, you know, I mean, when you start talking about individual stocks, it is very unpredictable. The things that seem obvious are not obvious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oil stocks, for example. I mean, we thought that was a good idea. I mean, I did anecdotally back, you know, 11 years ago when we went through the financial crisis because oil dropped to like, you know, $25 a barrel. And everybody thought, well, it's going to come back to 50 or 60. Well, guess what? That took like, a, you know, a couple of years for it to come back to that level. And if it even, I mean, I think it got back to that level. And then, and then the companies that were investing in it, um, that, that were like, you know, pumping oil and producers and that kind of stuff. Those companies did not come back like that because yeah. they have operating costs. They have a drag and they were losing money and some of them had to reorganize and went bankrupt. So you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes just because an industry is coming back. And that's kind of obvious. It does not obvious that the companies involved are going to be the ones that recover. And one other note, we see a lot of companies with very strong dividends, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Well, the reason why their dividends are so high is their stock prices dropped. And a lot of times we see companies having to halt dividends. They usually will. Because <clears throat> of the stress they're under. So don't it's, go buying stocks because they have big dividend yields. That's not a good strategy it's temporary. generally. That's dividend yield is looking at the his looking at the past year, not the year forward. Yeah. You know, so the dividend yield almost always changes when they get in that kind of shape. They 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 cut their dividends. So yep. That's not a good strategy either. So anyway, all right, enough negative stuff here. Let's move <laughs> on to the checklist for volatile markets, retirement savers. Yeah, this is uh, Christine Benz from uh, Morningstar. Really good um, you know, conversation about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And the standard advice for volatile markets is really to do nothing, right? Um, and it's true that when, when stocks are, are gyrating and a, and a policy of benign neglect is uh, invariably is going to uh, you know, going to produce better results and trying to move your portfolio around and trying to time it. Uh, we see history shows that that's not a, a valid strategy. It just doesn't work long term. And all too many investors, they've retreated to cash um, amid you know extreme market volatility, only to be left with an equally stressful question, which is, hey, when do I get back in? <laughs> we see that time and time again. Right. And, you know, is it time to get back in? Or could this be a short respite on the way back down? And, and if you've gone to uh, the trouble of creating a long-term investment program that syncs up with your goals, then that plan should build in the possibility of, of market drops. And, and, you know, our planning does. I mean, we expect there to be negative years. There has been historically, and there will be going forward. So here's your checklist. We'll kind of kind of buzz through this and give you some things to, to think about. Yeah, the first one is to check your safety net, your emergency fund, right? I mean, a key aspect of crafting an investment plan that you can live with during volatile markets is knowing that a short-term financial bond is not going to force you to raid your long-term accounts, you know, when they're down. You know, I just talked to a client yesterday, and unfortunately, he's out of work. You know, he's living in California, and and, and yeah, I mean, he's having to, to dip into his long-term money because um, he didn't really have a safety net to big enough to carry him through, you know, this, this crisis when he's out of work, you know? And so, um, you know, I mean, it's a fact of life that market volatility often coincides with periods of economic weakness, you know, that accentuates the importance of making sure your financial plan includes, 
you know, enough buffer assets and a big enough emergency fund to get you through those short-term crisis. Yeah, and the standard rule of uh, thumb is three to six months, right, of living expenses. So that's not three to six months of income. But if you think about it now, living expenses for people are are really low. I mean, they're they're not going to restaurants. You know, they're living on a lot less. So three to six months may seem daunting, but it is doable if you go through and say, hey, these are my fixed costs associated with it. And so some retirees, we see them having a year to two years. You know, they have a large amount of cash that can carry them through some very difficult markets. So that one's very, very important. Emergency funds, so key. And the next one here is interesting. Um, assess next line reserves. So in addition to checking up on your emergency reserves, Think through where you would go for funds if your cash accounts were depleted and you still needed more funds. And in a you know a financial crunch like like this, uh, you may need a new car for some reason. Maybe something breaks, so you kind of got to look at different options as well. Yeah, and you know this recently passed CARES Act um, includes some provisions um, for accessing your your accounts easier. You know, and your retirement accounts. In fact, um, so if you've suffered some really hard hits during this crisis, um, you you can get access to your IRAs and your um, your retirement accounts uh, without the 10% penalty. Yep. Um, of course, that needs to be your very last resort. You know, you do not want to hit your retirement accounts up. Um, you know, I mean, taxable brokerage accounts or, or, you know, even withdrawing your contributions to Roth IRAs are preferable to rating your 401k or your pre-tax money um, if you find yourself in a financial bind. So be very careful about that. But yes, you can access up to $100,000, I believe, of of uh, IRA money mm-hmm. yeah. um, and avoid that 10% penalty, even if you're not 59 and a half. Yeah. Another uh, item here on the checklist is uh, reach for a higher contribution rate. I mean, sometimes volatile markets can make us feel helpless. Um, and even if you're hands off, you know, you can, you can still do some things to, to set your, set yourself up for the future. And one of those is, is actually increasing the amount that you're contributing. And again, we wouldn't recommend that you put your, your budget or your emergency fund in jeopardy, but if you have the ability to increase what you're putting in your 401k or Roth contributions, um, that's something that you should certainly consider. Yeah. And the next one here though, is to review your asset allocation for your long-term portfolio. You know I mean? You know, taking a hands-off approach to your portfolio in in falling markets is often the best option. But you know, I mean, only if your mix is reasonably positioned, right, um, to to your goals. Um, so you know, you want to rebalance. Uh, that's a great thing to do during these down periods. Is take some of the money that's in fixed income, put it into the market, just like we did for clients back in in March, John. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really the the primary technique you want to you want to. Uh, to use, but if you feel like you've been through too much volatility here during this this crisis, and you know you you've been on the edge of your seat and unable to sleep, then after this is recovered, I'd say in three six months, you know when things have mostly recovered, it's time to sit down, take a look at your allocation, reevaluate, make yeah. sure you're comfortable <laughs> with where you've been, and you know, and then reallocate if you want to go more conservative. I wouldn't do it in the middle of this. I downturn. wouldn't either. No. Another thing to look at though is your short and intermediate term goals. Maybe you have some uh, some accounts for college, or maybe you, you have some uh, a goal to purchase a house or something like that. And you know, taking a look at how that's allocated as well. I wouldn't necessarily make the change today, but certainly you know, if you need the funds within you know one to two years. Uh, you shouldn't be as aggressive as your retirement accounts typically because things like this happen. So reevaluate, you know, short-term and inter- inter- uh, intermediate-term goals. 
Yep. And the next, stay alert to tax saving opportunities. Um, you know, market volatility may present some opportunities to improve your tax situation. You know, there's tax loss harvesting um, where you sell some of your assets that are down and, and reinvest those in uh, similar assets. Um, and you can take that loss during those years. You can carry that forward uh, indefinitely and you can take $3,000 of that against ordinary income. Um, so that's a pretty good strategy. I mean, also converting you know, IRAs to Roth IRA, I think during this downturn is a is another way. Um, so there, there are some strategies you can use while the markets are down. So be aware of that um, and just, you know, take a look at opportunities to, to maybe reallocate your assets while they're down so that you can uh, get more diversified without having to pay the tax because things are down and you have less gains to worry about at this point. So Yeah, and another thing, the final thing we see a lot of people doing is Roth conversions, taking money from an IRA and putting it into a Roth. You're going to owe a tax bill next year when you do this. But, you know, markets are down. If you can get some of that taxable money in a tax-free account, and when it comes back up, you're going to have more. Um, you also may be in a, a lower tax bracket this year. So uh, Roth conversions are a very popular thing to uh, to consider. At this yeah, point. particularly when markets are down. So yep. good, good point. All right. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So take this time to teach your kids about money. Um, you know, there's like 55 million students that are at home. Yep. And uh, God bless their parents for taking care mm, of them and all the teachers sure. that are doing this. It's a very difficult time on families. But uh, there's some really good resources out there. Khan Academy, that's K-H-A-N. Khan Academy has some really good visualizations of, of different money topics. Uh, Dave Ramsey has a lot of things. But you can talk to him about um, you know balance, uh, balancing a checkbook or how does, how does a stock work? Go dive into a good one is... Um, is looking at Starbucks, right? And go look yeah. at Starbucks and their business and how do they make money and look at all the different locations they have and all the different products they have and just dive into one of the, your kids' favorite companies and, and go do some research on on their their business model and where they're located and so forth. And it's just an opportunity to talk to your kids about money and, and teach them. Yeah, good teaching opportunity Yeah, since you have all this time at home. So Great prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Stay safe. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 